0: This up,
1: ground. Shakes to knock us down. Hello and welcome to an all new episode of the Three Bid League podcast. As always, I'm Tyler, joined by my co host Matt. And we got a great episode here coming for you with not one, but three special guests. We're going to kick things off being joined by VCU sharpshooter David Shriver. Then we're going to talk to the co-hosts of the Goal of Standard podcast, Rich and Dennis, about LaSalle's four-game win streak. And then we'll close things out talking about the other big games from this weekend. This is a long one, but I promise you, it is worth every minute of your time. We'll kick things off. Here's David Shriver. All right, we are now joined by the VCU sharpshooter, the man with the mustache that we saw all over the Siegel Center a few weeks ago, David Shriver. Thank you for joining us, David.
2: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
1: So we'll kick things off here. This is year five of a long college basketball journey for you. Three years at Division II, Outers and Brodus, and then a season at Hartford. You grew up in rural West Virginia. You actually went to college in the same town where you grew up. So at what point during all this did you start to believe that you were going to be a Division One basketball player?
2: Uh, you know, to be honest with you, there was, there was really no point, Uh, you know, until like, you know, my third year at Alderson Brothers, I... Uh, I kind of just said, you know, it's something I want to do. Something I want to chase. It's time for me to chase a dream, and it all happened within about a week. Um, you know, staying on, staying close to home. Uh, you know, I, it was always a dream to play college basketball, rather it be at any level, of course. Um, but you know, the main thing was, you know, I always told my parents, especially my dad. Um, you know, I said I want to go play college ball, whether that. Be Division One, Two or Three, but I know I just want to play. I don't want to go to college. I don't want to sit. You know, I just want to go and play. So uh it's been my first three years there. Had a wonderful three years there, great career there. Um and then, you know, I, I met some people. Uh we, we talked and uh you know they were like, you know, they asked me a couple things and said that you know they could help me if I was willing to do it. And I was like, Yeah, for sure. So that it kinda all happened within a span of about a month.
1: So the decision to go there coming out of high school was basically more of a decision to stay home and just continue to be able to play ball is that, is that right?
2: Uh yeah, that that was that was part of the part of the most decision just because uh, you know it was close to home uh, you know it was it was a full ride uh, so I just wanted to stay somewhere uh, somewhere close where I could play ball and you know go to school for free.
1: And it, just honestly out of curiosity so being from a small town when you showed up for your first day of your freshman year there and you walked in, how many people from high school did you see? Uh actually, you know, not a lot. Um, yeah, I definitely saw some for
2: sure. But uh you know it's only there's only seven hundred kids and uh it's mainly like an athletic school. Um otherwise it's it's super expensive to attend. But uh but like, you know, no, I think I think when I went it was seventy five Five to eight, i think 75 80% of uh people there are student athletes so uh you know a lot a lot of a lot of my high school students would either go uh go up to morgan w it's in w or you know the big schools like that but um yeah i, I actually didn't see a lot of high school high school people go there <laughs> Well, I can relate a
3: little bit to the first part about going to school close to my hometown, although I sadly cannot relate to the Division One basketball player part. <laughs> but I'm just curious, you know, after spending a couple years close to home, you spent a year in between at Hartford, but what was it like moving away to a really big school in VCU and also just a huge basketball school too?
2: Um, You know, like, you know, going from AB to Hartford, you know, the, the, the change from, obviously, the culture aspect, you know, the location and school, you know, all that stuff. Uh, it was it was different at first, but I thought, like, picking there was a good choice because it was kind of a smooth transition because University of Hartford is not an overly big school. It's, it's it's a pretty small school, actually. I think it was only about, when I was there, 3,300 students maybe, 4,000. Uh-huh. So, it's not a super big school, not a, a – like, back home, it's obviously – Way bigger than back home, and it don't take much to be bigger than back home. But like it wasn't like overwhelmingly, t- overwhelmingly like a huge change. So it wasn't like I was going to this gigantic city uh, stuff. And then uh, you know, the, like the biggest thing obviously was you know nine and a half hours from home. But like, you know, I always wanted to be able to leave and experience other things, and rather than being staying home in the hometown, so it was great to have a different change in that. And then uh, you know, coming from there to Hartford, I mean to VCU, um, you know, obviously. Thirty five thousand kids, a lot bigger school, bigger city, but uh, you know, something it's something I wanted to experience. I'm all about experience things, you know, seeing how things go, just going with the flow type of person. So, you know, at first, you know, it was a bit of a bit of a change, but you know, it was something that got used to quickly, um, and then just just being here, uh, you know, experiencing what I'm experiencing, especially you know where I spent my first couple of years of college basketball, you know where I come from, you know, just being able to experience all this is is it's not special, so. Yeah, you
1: know, what was the biggest reason that you ended up picking VCU over? Uh, we actually don't even know what other schools uh, offered you coming into this season. So,
2: um, well, the biggest the biggest thing that led me here was like how how well connected everyone is here. Um, you know how close everyone is, how much they care for us. You know the love, the love around here. That's showing, you know, the respect, the, the, how much they care for you is a uh, is a major reason, you know. And I could tell from the first times I talked to the coaches, the first time I met the players, you know, they did everything together. You know, we're we're with each other twenty four seven, on and off the court, it all matter. Um, you know, and the, the coaches are all they they don't just they don't just care about you for how how you how you can play ball or, you know, if the ball's going in, the ball's not. Uh, they care for you, they love you the amount of the same as they do everybody else, no matter no matter what. And then. You know, the reputation, just, you know, coming to a, a, a basketball town, a basketball school, you know, the, the fans, uh, you know, they they show videos. I watch clips, games, Uh, you know, just the energy the, the, the that the fan base gives is is something, like, that I've never been a part of. So, I was like, this is something that I want to experience. This is, this is a place that I want to be a part of. So, yeah. those are, like, the biggest reasons.
1: Yeah, and on the court. Did you have any kind of an awkward transition? Because you look at your game log from last season, you finish out the regular season with three straight 20-point games. You were four of nine from three in your conference tournament win over Albany. And you were a high-volume player at Hartford and back in your days at Alderson Brodus. Show up to VCU, you're coming off the bench, you're playing bit minutes in some of these games. Was that tough to adjust your game, or do you feel like it was a natural fit? Um you know, I remember coming in. It was definitely like tough
2: to adjust, and not, uh, just the just the different type of speeds to to an extent. You know, you know, moving up to a, to a big conference, a very solid conference. Uh, you know, the speed is obviously different. The, t- the the skill level, the talent, was definitely an adjustment. But you know, I've always been that person. You know, whatever role they put me in, whether that whether that be the guy or the the, the spark that he's come off the bench. Um, you know, I always, you know, that's, that's that's always been what I've what I've done ever since my first school. So, and it's kind of how I've been tied, it's how it's grown, You know, whatever wherever somebody needs me to, whatever they need me to do is, uh, I'll do it with 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 a smile on my face.
3: Yeah, it's definitely fair to say that there would be an adjustment moving to a new school and to a new conference. But <clears throat> I think the stretch of games that we need to talk about where. Atlantic Ten fans really figured out who you were in a hurry. You went a combined fifteen for nineteen from three to start your conference season. What was going through your head during those couple games, and was there just something that clicked where all of a sudden just every shot you were putting up was going in?
2: Uh, yeah, you know, conference was an all time high at that point. Uh, you know, I mean, they stretched it to me all year, and that's one thing I really try to try to focus on and maintain because. You know, I was mentioned earlier today. You know, being a shooter and to be a great shooter, your confidence, your mentality is is pretty much fifty percent of the battle, if not more. You know, if you don't have that mentality, you don't have that confidence, and you're, you're not gonna shoot. You're not gonna be a great shooter. You know, you're not. You're not gonna separate yourself from others. Um. You know, so especially during that stretch, you know, confidence was up all time high. My teammates, my coaches, you know, they were all there. They all had my back. They all believed in my confidence. So, especially those stretch of games, you know, it, it was uh. It's a great. It was just like no matter what, I could throw the ball from the. I could throw it from the ocean. I could throw it from anywhere. I feel like it was just gonna go in no matter no matter what situation.
1: Were, were there any fixes going into that stretch that helped to get you some more open looks? Because I saw you guys play against Duquesne. That was the game right before that, and it wasn't just you. No one could get open space for you guys right. on offense in that one. Um, you know. Yeah, we. I mean, we definitely made some some adjustments, some tweaks. You know, we
2: we. I mean, we practice hard every day. We work on different things. We add different things. You know, to 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 help solve these little problems. Um, you know, we, so we definitely tweak some things. We, you know, we could we added some plays, but we really we really spend a lot of time just. You know, we're big. We're big confidence people. That's all. That's what they. We stress that a lot. You know, we're an army. We have guys. You know, one man goes down, the next man's there to help him up, pick him up next person's here. like you know, so we really stretched that. So, uh, you know, that just, that's, that helps our confidence level. So we just kept this, we just kept the uh, straight mind, strong mind looking forward. And, you know, that, that was the most, that was the biggest tweak that we made. Like, you know, even though we're not, you know, you're not shooting well, or we're not playing well, we have a rough game. We always look into the next. We just, just got to forget about the last. one.
1: So your bio on the team website has one of the best quotes I have ever seen on a player bio. They ask why you picked jersey number 35, end quote, because I've always had a three on my jersey, no matter the number.
2: That's a man who's
1: confident in his three-point shooting. But I want to go the (laughs) other way and ask you, what do you feel like is the second best part of your game? Um, You know, other than shoot, I would say,
2: you know, that's a good question. Uh, You know, I feel realizing when, you know, when, when to attack a long closeout, you know. People look at me and always not the quickest, always not that athletic, you know. But I feel I have a great touch around the basket. You know, my float game. Uh, I spent, I spent, I shoot a lot of those. Actually, when I'm not shooting threes, my fifty, the fifty percent of my other shots is, if they're not threes, it's most likely a floater. So, you know, giving that little head fake, one two attack, shooting a little tear drop, a little floater, even even dumbing down to the big. Uh, I feel is is right there behind my shooting game. Is a pretty solid part of my game.
3: Well, so I'm just curious, though, like just talking about the rest of your game, what was it like adjusting to the hyper aggressive defensive style that VCU plays? Because it's just so unique in college basketball, the way you guys attack other teams, run super deep in the rotation and always putting pressure on the ball. Is that similar to anything you've done earlier in your career or is that something completely new for you to learn at VCU?
2: Yeah, it's, it was definitely something new. Um, you know, at both schools I played at, you know, we never press. It was uh, and this the uh, and both teams was kind of like you know, grab a board, walk it up the floor type thing, all that stuff. You know, and then you come here where it's it's a it's a fast it's a fast paced game. Press, push the ball. Press, push the ball. You know, we were pressing for forty minutes. We're, you know, it's, it's havoc for a reason. That's what they call it so. But now it's definitely it's definitely a. It's that, it was definitely new, so, you know, the adjustment, the change was definitely a tough. Um, But it really helped coming down in the summer, uh, you know, learning learning the style of play and, uh, you know, just work on, working on the different types of defenses they put in and the style they play. So, yeah, it was definitely a change at first, but I was able to click it eventually.
1: Yeah, and as we know, Mike Rhodes will not play guys if he doesn't find their level of defense acceptable. So for sure. as you keep going through the season, how do you make sure that you're staying on top of it on that end? Is it film study? Is it certain drills? What's your focus for continuing to get better um, on defense?
2: Yeah, no, especially in the defensive end, I, I spend a lot of time with uh, spend a lot of time with the coaches, watch a lot of film. Um, you know, especially you know, really just dig into the scout. You know, really get to know, really get to know your matchup. You know, know their tendencies, know what they like to do. Uh, you know, when they give a scout, we they send us the film. We're able, like, we really dig in on what they do, what their tendencies are. You know, if he likes left, he likes right. Or, you know, he's a better right. But if he goes left, he's going to come back. If he goes left, he's most likely going to shoot a step back or he's going to do a half spin, come back to his right. Um, you know, we just just really study their tendencies and what they like to do. Um, and, but not just him, but all the guys. Because, you know, there's always going to be a situation in the game where you are switch on somebody, you may need to get a big stop on somebody. And you end up switching, to one or two. So really, just uh, you know, the biggest thing to help improve to, that helps me on the defensive end things is uh, you know, just digging into the scout, know the person's tendencies and what they like
1: to do. And so you're in an interesting role on this team. VCU is eleven and one this season when you make multiple three pointers in a game. The only exception was against a, a very good Arizona State team, and Ace Baldwin didn't play in that game. So some extenuating circumstances on that one. but coming off the bench, never knowing how many minutes you're gonna play, what's the key to keeping yourself mentally ready and loose because you know when you come in that game you might not get a few minutes to get going that ball could be coming your way first possession.
2: um you know definitely you know always being a shooter I always like like I had mentioned earlier the, the mental stage the mentality stages, you know. As soon as I said before, you gotta be ready to go. You know, that's that's what I do. That's what I'm here for. Uh so you know, just sitting there, getting getting my mind right is is the first thing I always do, even before even before, you know, warm go out there for warm ups. I you know, I spend I spend a lot of time getting my mind right. Uh so definitely, you know, while I'm just sitting there I'm I'm ready to go no matter when he calls my number, rather that be uh for multiple minutes or just a few few minutes, it, it it don't matter. My mentality stays the same Like, Yeah. I'm always gonna be ready for the ball. So.
1: And we got a, about a month left here in the season. What's your goal for the rest of this year?
2: You know, obviously just to keep improving, getting better every day. Um, you know, obviously the main goal you know, is, it's going to be when the eights uh, in regular season and the tournament. Uh, so, I mean, that's obviously going to be the goal, but like uh, definitely just improving every day. Uh, you know, becoming better as a team and just keep working and prepping for these games coming up. Uh keep a clear mindset and uh just just get better, not as not as just myself, but as a whole as a whole uh per, as a whole team and everything like that. So.
1: all right, we'll close it out here. So as we mentioned from the beginning, you're from West Virginia. Most people think of that state. I think their mind goes to Cole and Bob Huggins first and foremost. So <laughs> tell everybody something. Wonderful about West Virginia, which of course, state slogan, wild and wonderful. Give us something wonderful <laughs> about that state that most people wouldn't know about. We actually, We have a uh,
2: great sightseeing, hiking, all that stuff. Uh, great. Like, if you like sightseeing, like hiking, there's actually a lot of great places. Seneca Rocks. Uh, you got um some of the trails I don't know what they're called because I'm not much of a myself, but you got uh. Tiger Rocks, Blackwater Falls, uh, and then there's a couple other places that, uh, you know, great fish and all that stuff. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of good things. Um, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. Charleston, Morgantown's a good city. Um, what else is there? Uh, I mean, yeah, there's and it, it's good basketball out there. Not just the, you know, not just W but high school ball. There's a lot of good high school ball. A lot of people. A lot of people. Uh, I feel overlooked West Virginia basketball outside of college, Uh, like high school, a lot of good stuff in that too. Uh, A lot of gyms come out of West Virginia, a lot of people don't know about. But uh, Marshall, you know, Randy Moss. anything on this, all good places too, back in West Virginia. So
1: there's more than just Bob Huggins to it. And you know what? We, we We can't pass this up. The fans in their fake mustaches, I don't remember exactly which game this was, Broke out in a rendition of "Country Roads" by John Denver a few weeks ago. <laughs> did you know that this was coming, or was this maybe even your idea? I did not know that. Nah. I didn't know at all. Is that is that actually a song that you enjoy, or did everyone just know? this yeah, it is about West Virginia. A hundred percent. I you know I, I grew up
2: watching W football. Um, had season tickets for. I want to say. 10, 12 years I went see with season tickets until pretty much until like eight years old all the way up to a sophomore in college. Was my last season having them. Uh so you know, after every football game you sing country roads, win or lose. And what but, but the score was, me and my pops I always stayed after the game and sang it. And it's a song that I've always enjoyed and you know represents back home. So
1: all right. Country roads. Take him home, but not till after this season. David Shriver, thank you for joining us.
2: I appreciate you. Thanks for having me.
1: All right. We talked about the mustaches. And with that, I think David Shriver is starting to become a little bit of a cult hero at VCU. And we're now joined by two other cult heroes in the world of LaSalle basketball. (laughs) Two men so dedicated to their fandom that Fran Dunphy called them individually to thank them the hosts of the Goal of Standard podcast, Rich and Dennis, thank you guys for joining us.
0: Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Wow, what an intro. What an intro.
1: So (laughs) we'll start it off here. If anyone happened to be watching on that random Tuesday night, they will remember maybe the oddest in-game moment of the A-10 season. Fran Dunphy benching his four best scorers in a game against Davidson. No one knew what the hell was going on. It was one of the biggest mysteries of a LaSalle broadcast all year, which is really saying something. They lost that game, but since then, two-point loss on the road and then four straight wins. Guys, this isn't even a question. I'm just going to fire it at you and let you take it where you want. I think Fran Dunphy might still be a good coach.
0: I think so, too. (laughs) We're very lucky. We're very lucky to have him, considering what we were at at one point. You know what I mean? I mean... Rich and I both had expectations, but I don't think they were this high. Like, in no way were we expecting four wins in a row and, and, you know, six and six in conference. I mean, I did you predict that? I, Rich, I had no clue. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I
4: can't say I predicted it, but like, I was talk, I was, th- I was talking to you, you know, outside of our recording and asking, you know, like, how many coaches would rather have Dunphy than their coach in the A10? And I feel like right now, I mean, I guess it's different, but I'm very curious, you know, I feel like because Duffy's coaching really well, and I feel like he, you know, is getting the most out of his guys. And some people are like, you didn't even know they were capable of that. Like Shepard, the role, you know, he's playing, you didn't think he was capable of that. Um, And, you know, just, you know, putting Nickelberg on the bench and he's just, you know, taken off. It's just been unbelievable um, to see that, you know, what he's done um, in this four-game winning streak.
1: Yeah, Josh Nickelberry is played out of his mind since the benching. Like you said, moving him into that six-man role really invigorated him to the point that he may now actually be the favorite for A-10 six-man of the year, although that's a, that's a jumbled award right now. But what else have you guys seen from these last four games that gives you hope that this isn't any kind of fluke, that LaSalle's going to keep this going over these next few weeks?
4: I feel like they I mean, played really hard. Like they played really, really hard. Um, and you know, I like that starting lineup, you know, the guys from Mali, you know, Takore and the twins. And then you have, you know, the, the two point guards, and then you shuffle in. And I feel like they really kind of set the tone. They play a, a very competitive first half. And then, you know, he twinkle you know, he puts in, you know, the necessary pieces. And I really, you know, like how they're playing. Um I feel like they can match up against everyone because they play almost like 10 guys. And you saw, you know, contribution on Saturday from, you know, Amor Gill and uh, Rokas Jokas. So if you get contribution from guys like that, um, you know, in- included with, you know, the other seven who, you know, been there in you know, most of the year. I mean, I-, I really like what they're doing. I think they have a shot to continue it.
0: We're, we're very fortunate to have Brickus and Brantley continually just putting up great performances night in and night out. Um, facilitating getting other guys involved and the rest of those guys are finally capitalizing on their moments too it felt like we were spoiled with these two guards and now finally the rest of the team seems to be pulling their weight and and making impacts that we hadn't seen yet Rokas on his in his last game I think that was a career high Um, Mamadou on the road shutting down Bonaventure's big man late in the game and hitting a clutch hook shot to to seal the game. I mean. We hadn't seen Mamadou do anything like that this season. So they're really, each of them is finding their niche and how they can contribute to this team. And Rich mentioned earlier that Shepard, who was just buried on the bench under Ash, has insane vertical abilities. So why not get him in there and get boards? And it turns out, I think he's getting, I would say he's getting rebounds like as many as, as our big men. Like he, he is outperforming all of our expectations and it's, it's credit to Dunphy for getting the most out of every one of these guys.
3: Yeah, I think it was you guys, too, that I, I remember right at the beginning of conference play, you called out Shepard a little bit. And um, all of a sudden, like since that first or second conference game, he's taken off as one of the most impressive bench players on LaSalle. So do you feel like that has mostly just been one of the effects of Fran Dunphy getting the most out of guys that maybe weren't getting as much of a chance before and just having a new style? I think, too even though we don't really think of him this way, since he is LaSalle's best player right now, but Khalil Brantley wasn't putting up nearly these type of stats last year as a freshman. And all of a sudden he's become the triple nickel God of the a 10 this year.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he gave him the keys. He absolutely gave him the keys. and And in a guard heavy lineup, Shepard is is a guard. I mean, when you think about it. And and they've played him at the, the four and he's getting boards like he's a five. So like I, I just think it's incredible that they were able to find that quality in him. I the, the most we saw him do previous seasons was, is doing a, an amazing dunk before the game started. Like they would do layup lines and then here comes Shepard doing like a sick windmill to get the the, the fan or the, everybody fired up. And that was the extent of what we saw. We, we knew we knew he could jump high, but I mean, that's, that's really, I, honestly, that feels like the story to me. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just everybody from top to bottom. We're seeing a lot of contributions that we never thought were possible.
1: So something I had pointed out a few weeks ago now at this time, I made this comment, certainly not thinking LaSalle was going to be sitting at six and six at this point, uh, mainly said it thinking maybe like three and nine. But the thing that stood out to me from the beginning and Rich hit on it is they play so hard and you can tell that they love playing for Fran Dunphy. Well, your opponent on Saturday was the UMass Minutemen, whose coach now seems to have a beef with their players you guys were in the arena. Could you see – was there a difference in the energy level and the body language between these two squads?
0: Absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> like
4: I, UMass came out like very – like they look good like right away. They play like very intense defense. And I feel like they had a pretty good half. But in the second half, it kind of mounted Like Frank was getting in on some guys like really heavy. Um, But, you know, after – you know, LaSalle was just on fire. They had 53 points in the second half and their passing was very like crisp. They were, you know, hitting all those open threes. You know, Frank was really, you know, laying into the guys and, you know, LaSalle's bench, you know, was like, you know, uh, you know, they were so excited and it was weird or it wasn't weird, but, you know, they that's when they had that like five guard lineup in. And, you know, the Dramas were still on the bench, but they're having a great time because they're excited because their teammates were, you know, they couldn't miss. And, yeah, you know, it was the opposite on the other sideline.
0: Yeah. Frank Martin, as we know, is a vocal guy. And that definitely it is not the way to go right now, I would say, overall. Like, I don't know who, who needs to work in on the coaching staff and kind of, you know, tell them to calm down a little bit. But I do think it's it's creating quite a negative effect on the team. It, it reminds me a lot of, and I don't Mean to like throw <laughs> under the bus but it rem- reminds me a lot of our coach last year i mean the vocals on him were throughout the game were insane like he would just be yelling and very emphatic and it's the type of stuff that does not you know always get to these guys get to these players that are giving it they're all on the court fran is the polar opposite you'll see fran yell or clap like once or twice a game um he barely calls timeouts he he honestly just like lets them perform, let them figure it out. If he needs to tell them something, he will and give him a heads, you know, give him some instruction. But for the most part, he's very stoic and and lets the play on the court determine his reaction. And 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 Frank, I mean, you know, he has a good history. I mean, Frank is overall like a pretty solid coach to many. But if there's a, you know if that squad doesn't isn't as receptive to that type of instruction, then you're never going to be successful. Like it's just. It's just like oil and water. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. And we saw that with Ash at LaSalle.
1: And it's something to keep in mind when March rolls around because we see it every year. And last year, I think it was Duquesne, St. Joe's and a little bit LaSalle. These teams that struggle throughout the season. And by the time things are about to come to a close, some players just don't look engaged anymore. And you got to wonder with UMass with, The way Martin went after those guys, if you're someone who has maybe decided that you're ready to transfer, I'm not sure you're giving him your all the rest of the season. But to refocus, the two teams to me right now where every guy up and down the roster seems fully locked in at every second are LaSalle and Duquesne. And that makes both of them outrageously dangerous no matter who they're playing and despite any talent gaps they might have down the stretch
0: definitely. You need a player's coach. I feel like if I were to choose between like a disciplinarian, like drill sergeant or a player's coach, I feel like I would go player's coach nonstop, like positive affirmation. Like, you know, you saw some videos after po- you know post games, Fran is giving great instruction in the locker room, like love each other. Like we're, we're in this together, like push, keep pushing, like great, great work. Every- you know, They are winning. I will say that, you know, I'm not sure they would be filming if they were losing. Yeah, but- that helps. But the positive affirmation, being a player's coach can go, I feel like can go further than a disciplinarian, a guy who's yelling in their ear nonstop, you know, uh, in this day and age, too. Not not to say, like, you know, back, you know, we used to walk uphill both ways, like, type of stuff. starting to but... sound like Frank Merton's comments the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that players are more receptive to uh, to more positive instruction or just not just let them play like Fran does. Just let him play. Yeah. And I
3: remember, too, like going back to the offseason, I mean, a pretty stressful time for LaSalle basketball. You weren't really sure what the future holds, but the two of you guys were both pretty optimistic and it seemed like you were excited about the Fran Dunphy hire is there anything about his style that surprised you this year that you, you didn't see coming at all from what you've seen on the court now?
0: I'll, I'll go for it. I feel like I'll, I'll admit, like, when I watched him at Temple, I didn't really see it that well uh, because I was obviously watching, rooting for LaSalle or just not paying Temple that much mind. But I'm realizing now that Dunphy lets those guys, like, if there's a hot hand on the on the court at that time, like, he's like, keep going. Keep shooting. Um, I think about players on his his teams that would drop 30, like the um Quentin DeCosey, oh, yeah. um, Rose, uh, Shiz Alston, like those guys, I don't know where they are now, but they would drop buckets and Fran would just let them work. And and I've seen that with Bricus. We've seen that with Brantley, like and Nickelberry now. Like just feed the hot hand. He's very good at riding those, those players that are like doing really well at the time. And I, I just don't think I saw that when he was at Temple. Nor did I see that, you know, overall as, as like a calling card of his. Um, I and and then uh, once again, I think he's just very stoic and just very quiet. And and maybe that's just because I was used to Ashley Howard yelling, but he is just it's it's like a totally different environment on at the goal because you can you can hear a lot, like you can hear just about everything that goes on, um, because of how small it is. And and man, he's he. He's just speaking softly, and they listen, and they listen.
1: Yeah, And I think one of the common topics around this program all year has been, well, is Fran here like a year or two? Do they already have a replacement lined up? Quite frankly, I'm not really interested in talking about that right now, the way that he has them playing. So I'll take it the other way. Regardless of how long he stays, and maybe this is dependent on whether this is two versus three versus five or six years, how high a heights does Fran Dunphy get this LaSalle program before he moves along? Because we do know it's not gonna be 10 to 15 years. It'll be somewhere in in the intermediate term. How high?
4: Um in terms of like where would they rank in the A ten? I, I mean I think he can get them, like middle of the pack. I really think he can get middle of the pack with the current talent that you know Ashley Howard assembled. You know, this year it kind of looks like that way. You know, knock on wood. I don't want to. I don't want to jinx them, but I think they can be middle of the pack. Just you know, the way they've been playing, they play hard. They play for Fran. They you know enjoy, like the positive reinforcement, and it's showing. You know, Khalil and Bricus really complement each other really well, and you know they're key cogs. And you know they're not gonna you know get that kind of time anywhere else. And you know. A conference like the A ten. Um so I, I think, you know, middle of the pack or maybe even higher than that. I, I think, you know, that, that's fair. And I, I think he can he can do that.
0: Yeah. I think he's he's slowly creating a culture that makes guys want to stay in this world of transfers and the portal. I I could see these uh, several of these impact players staying at LaSalle, which wasn't always the case. People would hightail it out of here if they were the best on a LaSalle squad. They would, you know, transfer up, transfer down, they'd be out of there. But I think that there's a culture being created here that it, it is really going to be the basis of how LaSalle moves forward, uh, whether that's looking for a new coach or riding with Fran for three to five more years. Um, I, I could see like, I mean, we're 500 right now. We're, we're we're in the middle of the pack right now and we didn't predict that. So, I mean, I could totally see Fran exceeding expectations. I I do think I will pause and just think about recruiting and how that world has changed and fran isn't you know the youngest guy around and he's not he's not on the computer and stuff like that you know hitting up like who knows who knows who's recruiting on his side if it is going to be i know he's locally going everywhere he can um maybe he hits the international um market a little bit more here uh that's going to be the other factor here is like who 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 can we get that wants to come to la and play for fran um that'll ultimately determine this but what we've got right now what's in the cupboard right now as they say i think is is feasibly could result in a 500 or better record going forward and I, that would make me ecstatic personally if they could if they could have a winning a10 record uh this season next season the third season away uh yeah. that would be a huge win for us and a building block for more fran or a new coach
1: yeah and whether or not they can hold themselves in this middle of the pack spot that they're in right now is going to come down to a lot of these role guys that you you've already mentioned having big taking on big moments. So let's let's look ahead, let's say LaSalle wins an A10 tournament game this year against a, a non-pillow fighter. and I tell you that someone outside of the trio of Brantley Brickus, and Nickelberry has a huge performance in that game. It's a superstar moment. A10 Twitter's a buzz about this guy that no one had heard of outside of the people currently on this podcast. Who is it? Because I I am hoping that you both have different answers here.
4: Uh I, I feel like I gotta go Deshaun Shepard. I feel like that's like the low hanging fruit. I feel like I gotta go him because he's like no one's really heard of him. And then would be like, he could make some sick dunk or some like sick put back. Um I I I gotta I gotta go Deshaun Shepard.
0: Yeah, um, I'll say Anwar Gill. Uh, we both went guards here just because that's what we've seen recently. Anwar Gill's floater is not bad. We've seen him rattle off like eight straight points with the floater. Um, He's also very aggressive. We we saw him as probably one of our most aggressive guys on the team when it came to just dribbling and getting contact and making layups. So I think that that could be a guy that, that – impacts a game and and that he could come off the bench. I mean, we've seen him come off the bench plenty, so maybe he's not top of mind, but I do do love when he comes in and kind of pushes the pace a little bit, limit the turnovers, but he can make an impact for sure.
1: So one guy who had a lot of hype coming into the year that's kind of disappeared, your backup center, Rokas, and I will let you guys pronounce his last name because – the last time I heard a LaSalle home game, I realized I had it way off. But like, he—he's minutes have gone down here. Is he just a next year project at this point? Uh,
4: I mean, on Saturday he had like twelve points, um, in like twenty minutes. So he, he's coming on. I think he had like four blocks too. So he's coming on again. So, um, I like what I saw, and I was surprised, like, because he—he wasn't playing much before that. So, I guess you know, Dumphy sprinkle him in again. But he had a good big impact against um UMass on Saturday yeah in the first half.
0: I believe it's it's either Joshus. also I've heard the public address announcers say or something like that so it's 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 tough, I'll admit um he can he he exudes a lot of confidence for being his first year. I will say he he's he's taken a few threes which in my mind I that's unheard of to me like I I haven't seen somebody shoot it like and he made a, I think mm-hmm. he's he's made a few yeah, exactly. and his comp, I just think he just has that confidence is what I'm trying to say like I I haven't seen him get flustered I've just seen his minutes lim- limited honestly it, it, he could I fe- I feel like he could play 20 to 30 minutes and wouldn't be a detriment to the team unless they're like pushing the pace like insanely fast in which case we go with the five guard lineup I I think he could he could be one of those guys that surprises you in the tournament with some, like, key rebounds and and maybe a putback or two.
1: So you mentioned the tournament. How far do you guys see this year's LaSalle team going? Can they get to 500? And if so, can they win a game or two in the A-10 tournament? Assu- now, I, I, they're definitely good enough to win a pillow fight game this year. But can they win a round two game either coming out of there or coming off a bye?
4: I mean, I think they can. The way they're playing right now, you know, the only teams that scare me are the top three. I think they can. They have a shot to beat anyone else. The top three are going to be really, really tough. You know, VCU, St. Louis, and um, Dayton. But the others, even Fordham, you know, we lost to them on a buzzer beater or just about last second shot. But I think we can compete with everyone else. So as long as we don't see one of those top three, I think we can go as far, you know, I'll probably say I me mean, I
0: say it's going to probably Thursday. Uh but who knows? That'd be excellent. Although I really hate the new format.
1: And yeah, we even if can. they
0: win two games, like I would still like I don't know if I'd make the trip. I would try my best to make yeah. it. I mean, they deserve the attention if they if they win two two games. Uh we gotta get there, Rich. We gotta make it work. If they honestly, when you see fifty three points and a half, that that raises that raises my eyebrows. That that like that impresses me a lot and makes me think that we could easily be like a dark horse in the A10 tournament. If Nickelberry can hit seven threes a game, lights out. Like that's that's easy. We could we could we could hang tough with the top three. I'm getting cocky now, but I feel like yeah. we could hang tough with the top three.
1: <laughs> I mean, right now technically the top three is VCU, Dayton, and Fordham, but your point is understood because <laughs> yeah, Fordham you know I mean. does have the tiebreaker over St. Oh, Louis, and no gotcha. one should forget that. Yeah. Wow. Right. Wow. So we'll, we'll carry this on to your rivals across the city. I don't think we've ever asked you guys this. Give us your most honest opinion of the Hawk.
0: <laughs> we don't have one, Rich? Oh, I was waiting for you to go first. <laughs> um. So I'll admit, I actually worked with someone who was the Hawk. And he was a salt dealer guy. He was a really nice person. Um, but when you put that, that costume on, I'll call it a costume. When you put that thing on, you become insufferable. I, I admire the, the arm, the, the strength it takes, but I'm just out on the, on the whole, the whole shtick, like the whole running out with the team and then flapping the wings next to the huddle. Like they're part of the team and they're like listening to the game plan. Huge turnoff for me personally. Like you don't see any other mascots, like literally in the huddle like that or like right next to them i know when, sometimes they don't but i've seen them i've seen the mascot like right next to the huddle and it's whatever i mean those feathers we were sitting courtside at the palestra and one of those feathers was on the ground on the court and we had to notify a ref that there was feathers on the court like somebody could have slipped it could have been a saint joe's player so i'm just way out on the antics when he runs around with those wings flop and i think it's a hazard And I would love to see somebody put like a inflatable tube around his wings and limit the flapping, which a Rhode Island fan did, I believe, at one point. And I think that there's footage of it somewhere. I like that as like a viral, like '90s A10 video or some some type of throwback. And definitely need to see more. Need to see more mascot rivalries. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Someone brought an inflatable into a arena back then. There was no no security, I guess.
1: This question was really only for me to tee you guys up to get your reaction to the following statement. I discovered over the weekend that you can hire the hawk for events, which isn't that crazy. Like, think two diehard St. Joe's alums, you get the hawk to come flap their wings behind the officiant for a wedding. But I discovered that in that, the hawk has been hired for funerals before to fly really? over the coffin,
0: to let them down one last time. Wow. Jeez. I mean, that's sports crazy. is a crazy thing. Yeah. Sports is a crazy thing. You see people dressed up. I bet if you were a hawk mascot, you would you would ask to maybe get some feathers in the coffin, right? I mean, yeah. who knows with the ashes? I mean, why not?
1: It's they might sports. not allow that because the hawk will never die. So that's, no,
0: that's a good true. point. That's a good point. I mean, I don't know. That's kind of weird though to be at a funeral like that with the with the they yeah, have to flap a, their wings. That's interesting the interesting vibe. Yeah, like what? Like you have to work your wings the whole time, dude. I think will say a real diehard. Like
1: I'm pretty certain if once once you enter public a public space with the costume on, you have to keep flapping. So
4: wow, but, that's the deal.
1: Like I would, if if anyone who would know this is listening, we'd love for you to tell us. But I would assume like if you walk, if you're walking from your dorm to the arena, you probably have to flap your wings the whole way yeah. through.
0: You can't get caught without flapping. Yeah. No. This makes me think if if we were to be able, to, I'm sure we could. Rich, we've got the pull. We could get the explorer to our funerals. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> no problem. No sweat. No.
1: Brent Dunphy has your phone numbers. You guys, yeah. you guys can do anything at that school now.
4: <laughs> All we need to do is light the L. That's our next task. Yeah,
1: yeah. let's L- L- sell people. N- I know none of you were listening, <laughs> but let let these guys do it. But. The story of Fran calling you guys sprung out of your road trip to Rhode Island. And you recently announced you've got another road trip coming to Washington, D.C. And we have waited long enough. We completely left this out of last week's episode. That's what you do when you do a true pop the trunk, no preparation podcast in an airport. Matt, I believe it's story time. I think
3: you're exactly right. What a fun discovery for us! I mean, it's always great to see a new arena. But heading down before the game, you know, we we had some time to peek around, look behind the Charles Entertainment Smith Center curtain, and we found some some good stuff, Tyler.
1: Yeah, we were. Uh, we went down to the media room, and sadly, we can't actually verify that we saw with our own eyes an actual pit of water and chlorine. But there was a giant door with a big sign on it that said pull with an arrow to it. So unless there's a huge billiards hall in the basement of the Charles Smith Center, there is a pull down there.
0: Interesting. I've heard rumors that this is true. And I think we have a goal of ours, a goal of ours, Rich. We got to see that thing when we visit. If it's true.
4: Yeah. Paleo can hook us all. Yeah
0: play has got it yeah, he
4: says yeah tour. like put the hard hat on i'm doing construction and then you know sneak us in
0: <laughs> yeah we're just checking the the stability of the building making sure so it's underneath
1: yeah if oh, it's, it below exists, the it's core. definitely in the basement unreal that they've just wow. been under the radar like this
0: i've heard rumors but i mean that's why they call it the charles entertainment center i guess right you can you can go for a swim that? it's not the Gola entertainment center it's just the Trumark financial center. I don't know. That's, that's incredible. I think we need to, we need to take some steps. Maybe I'm going to, I'm going to start contacting Art LaSalle athletics department, seeing like what kind of access they have. And if not, we'll go the paleo route. You know, he's got ties with the organization in some way
1: <laughs> I, that dude might have unlimited power in that building. Not sure, but that's, that's definitely the guy to go to. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. So, so we'll close it out here. For each of you what is your biggest hope whether it's for team success or for a player's success for the remainder of this LaSalle season
0: I I would say we've been waiting we got a sixth man a10 six man of the year but nobody's gotten a even a third team and and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not that good at the stats but I've been I've been waiting for a LaSalle player to make third team or second team I'm I would love sure that
1: pookie was the last one it's yeah, been a long time
0: so I would love for these guys to just dominate late in the season and earn one of those nominations because it has been far too long. Um, and then, yeah, making some noise in the A-10 tournament, allowing us to visit Brooklyn and see the, see some A-10 Twitter folks and watch LaSalle advance further than we had imagined. Those are those are my goals.
1: Yeah.
4: Uh, my goal is for LaSalle to not play on the pillow flight. So my goal is for them you know, to be in that 8-9 game or you know better i've been wanting that for so long so that's that's definitely my goal it'd be like the eagles in the super bowl pretty much (laughs) what is the equivalent
3: sorry to bring this up the day after the super bowl but like what would be the lasalle basketball equivalent of making it that far is that like just making the a10 title would it be going back to the sweet 16 how much would that mean to you compared to a super bowl
1: basically what has to happen for you guys to go climb the poles?
4: Yeah. Or, like, the, I mean, if they made, like, the A-10 final, like, that that's like that's our Super Bowl. Like, that, like, that's just, I don't remember LaSalle ever being, like, even the quarters. No. I don't think they've ever made the quarters. I don't think they've ever made past, like, the second round. So, like, I mean, just if they were ever in the title or even in the quarters, I mean, it would just, I would just be
0: out, we'd be out of our minds. Oh, absolutely. You would see us on the polls. Uh I don't know. Some of the Eagles fans were on the polls for some weird reason last night, even though they lost. We we might be there just because we made the finals. We we could lose the final but still climb the polls. That's how crazy it is.
1: Yeah, I, I blame Senator Casey for the Eagles fans still climbing the poll. He tried to insinuate on Twitter that he was gonna do so that, that morning. So when your state <laughs> leaders are doing that, you're gonna row these people up. But we'll see what LaSalle can do this year. For all the talk of just getting to the A-10 quarterfinals, we need to remember this is the second-to-last A-10 program to make the second weekend of the NTA tournament. So there has been some intermediate-term success for the Explorers, but guys, I, there's no way there's anyone left still listening at this point who is not listening to your pod. But just in case we have a few new listeners who have just stumbled in, where do they find it?
0: Yeah, we're at The Goal of Standard on Twitter and as well on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I believe those are the two big ways to listen to pods. Uh, Make sure you guys subscribe, review it, uh, let us know how you feel. We try to keep A10 Twitter involved. So even if you're not a LaSalle fan, uh, we might branch out, reach out. And As you know, we're going to be going on road trips. Uh, Recently announced on the pod, not only are we going to GW, but we're going to go to Mason. So shout out to the green machine shout out to all those folks on a 10 Twitter. I know there's a few of those guys, so we try and keep it light and not just solely focused on LaSalle. Um, It's a good time. Follow us on the goal of standard.
1: All right. I thought Rich had something else to throw in there, but yeah, one of the elite pods of the a 10 listing universe. I think we have like 10 to 12 team specific ones now, but these guys are definitely at the top. So everyone go give them a listen. Dennis and Rich, thank you for joining us.
4: Yeah, thank you for having us. Thanks it's a lot for being on your podcast and I'm a really thought hard listener.
1: All right. We mentioned how we forgot story time from last week. Another thing we screwed up in that uh, Pop the Trunk podcast realized a few days later that when I was going through my shout outs, I referred to GW's SID by the wrong name. So, shout out to Kevin Burke not Kevin Smith. I don't know who the hell Kevin Smith even is. Not a real person, at least not in the A10 basketball space. But we carry on. And Matt, before we dive in real quick into the some of the really big games of last week, I don't have too much to say about this, but I did come to the realization, 3 weeks to go, literally every award is just wide open at this point. You can run through in your head, player of the year's far from determined. I think I could make five different eloquent speeches for coach of the year right now for Ergo Caputo, Dunphy Schmidt, or Dan Brott. Uh Rookie of the year is still pretty open. Although I think Maximus Edwards might have a little bit more of a lead there than anyone does in any other award. I went through all conference. I only have seven locks right now. Like there's a lot still to be decided in these final weeks
3: yeah there really is especially when it comes to player of the year I feel like most years with a month to go you pretty much know who it's going to be even last year you kind of knew it was going to be either Luca or maybe Oduro Vince Williams heated up at the end but I feel like there's still at least five or six guys that could take player of the year and then coach of the year is going to be interesting because normally it just goes to the regular season champion by default but whether it's VCU or Dayton, or maybe if St. Louis gets back up there, all three of them were mildly disappointing at certain stretches of the season. So maybe it does go to Keith Ergo or Keith Dan or something like that. So yeah, definitely an interesting thing to keep keep track of the next few weeks.
1: Yeah. And one thing that I do want to put out there, just a warning right now for the VCU fans I just, want to, I just want you all to accept a few weeks ahead of time, you're not getting two guys on all defense. I don't care that Ken Palm has you guys as the best defense for the season-ending conference play. It's not happening because once you start to do the math, obviously Ace Baldwin will be on there. I think we've reached a point that I, can no lo- I cannot make any case of leaving off either Kamara or Holmes. What those two do individually on the defensive end is so ridiculous. And they're both going to be on that group, especially because they're superstars. But there's four defenses that in conference player pulling away from everyone else. And basically every metric it's those two, and it's obviously Fordham and it's the, all of a sudden, incredible Duquesne defense. And so you start yeah. to fill it out. I think Fordham's getting a guy. I think that's already kind of been set that the reputation of how good that defense has been all year. Now it's kind of weird. Their two best defenders both come off the bench. So it could be Rose or Sambilla. But the way Duquesne is playing and the fact that he's leading the conference in steals, Trey Clark is going to end up on the all defensive team. And I think you can make a great argument for Trey Williams as well, right now, who's been their best defender and has maybe been the best defender in the conference outside of Kamara over the last month here. And so you just start to run it through VCU does not have a second signature big name defender on this team. And without that, they're not getting another one on that group. So VCU fans, just be prepared. We know you're going to be pissed that day. We're telling you right now, it, it will happen.
3: It's just it's going to be another Travis Kelsey situation after the Super Bowl. Nobody respected us. No one thought we were any good. Well, everyone knows VCU's a good defensive team. You don't need to worry about that part.
1: Yeah, and they're going to be mad, and then probably the next day they'll try to just go back and retroactively claim Trey Clark as their own again.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be that surprised, but I, I will say his game against St. Bonaventure, it seemed, he had so many steals from behind that you just never see where guys look like they're going to get an open layup, and all of a sudden he pokes the ball out. And I didn't even realize this, but Duquesne is second in Ken Palm defense in the conference right now for conference play only, which going from the first even 10, 12 games of the year, never would have guessed they'd even be a top half defensive team.
1: I mean, after they gave up a bunch to Marshall, which everyone does, and then came back a few days later, it got basically eviscerated by the now non-existent New Mexico state program. It looked like average was their best case scenario that they would have to continue to just shoot lights out from deep and hope that their defense was good enough. All of a sudden, like we get to the midway point of conference play. They're an average offense. The three point shooting has gone from nationally elite to just simply pretty good. And especially in this three game win streak that they're on right now, which personally I think are three of their four best performances of the entire year. It's been because the defense has ramped it up to a whole new level. And you see it in the effort on the court and Keith Dan was quick to point out in his press conference this week that everyone on that team is just more engaged defensively. They've all bought into the mission and It's not a crazy thing that they're playing better.
3: Yeah, and I I think speaking of effort on the court, you tweeted about this. It didn't get a whole lot of attention, but I do have to ask being at these Duquesne games, take us through what happened before George Mason because it seemed like it was a little bit of an interesting warm-up for the Patriots and maybe, maybe suggesting that they didn't have the effort that that team wanted to see.
1: So like an uh, hour-ish before the game when I walked in, they might have started before this, but they have everyone out on the court doing their your layup lines and your foul line jumpers and all that, except they got a bunch of assistants and managers out there with like boxing pads. There's a guy with like the, the actual little mitt that you would use to block a boxing punch. There's a guy with one the size of like an a baseball home plate umps chest protector. And basically they're trying to make these guys finish their shots through contact. And they are run they ran a hardcore workout before this game.
3: Yeah, that's uh that's one way to prepare for a game. I not the most conventional method, but that that's just uh <laughs> something I wouldn't have expected, I guess, to say, at least from a team that you'd think is playing well so
1: and you know what you can't the one thing they couldn't simulate in that was the physicality of Trey Williams who started guarding centers just a few games ago for the Dukes like he did last year went up and had the two best defensive games of his season this week against Oduro and against Chad Venning, and the work he did against those two guys if if Tumani Kamara hadn't gone completely berserk against two of the other top three teams in the league, Trey Williams probably would have been deserving of player of the week in the A-10. And he would have never gotten it because as, as my dad said, it was one of the best three points in a game performances you're ever going to see a player have. The stats weren't there, but holy God, was he great on defense!
3: But speaking of Kamara and the stats that were there, what a week for him and what a week for Dayton. He starts out with 26 points against VCU, just dragging a shorthanded flyer team to victory on the road. And then comes away with his first Harewood horse trophy in the Baron Cup on Friday 10 with a 17.10 rebound double-double. A huge week for him and a huge week for the Flyers. What's your biggest takeaway from... UD going 2-0 and against two teams that were thought to be their biggest competition in the league.
1: They're figuring out who the guys are now. It's been tough with the injuries all year, the lineup constantly changing, but when we start to think about it's semifinals or the A-10 final, tie game, two minutes left, who are the five out of these talented guys on the court for Dayton? And I think four of those answers are very clear now. Obviously, Kamara and Holmes. But this week, just really locked it in that it's Malachi Smith, who has been sensational offensively when he's been healthy. And then finally looked pretty good on the defensive end in that VCU game after some struggles during his rehab phase. But then Colby Brea is clearly just an essential piece to this team now. I thought he was actually the MVP of the VCU game because he, he had to play out of position the whole time with Smith out, with Sharv jumps, in horrible foul trouble the whole way through. And with Kobe Elvis, I don't know if it was mental against the press or if he is also just truly not healthy, but he didn't look comfortable taking the ball to court one single time. And so against the press, Kobe Bray had to play point guard for basically the first time in his career, only turned the ball over three times, threw some really nifty cross-court passes. He was aggressive, going to the hoop for the first time that we've really seen since last March. And he has just clearly cemented himself now as a 25 to 30 minute a game guy for the Flyers. And ironically, he has actually ended his own six-man case here because I think he's going to start the rest of the way. Yeah, he,
3: he probably probably will, and part of that is just him playing so well, but it's also the issue with Dayton where as soon as somebody comes back, there's another player getting hurt, and now they don't have R.J. Blakeney. Hopefully he comes back soon. And then even against St. Louis in the first half, Malachi Smith re-injured his ankle a little bit, came back out for the second half, wasn't really himself, and luckily for Dayton... They were just far enough ahead that they didn't need to push Smith very hard. But I, I think that's just still going to be the concern is how well they can hold up through the season. It is going to be an advantage going to Brooklyn where if the Flyers can... I I think at this point we can say they're going to get a double bye, or at least they've got a good chance to. So if they win that first Thursday game, they would have a day off before advancing to the weekend. But it, it still is going to be one of the thinner rotations in the conference
1: you say that but i guess when you just kind of look around at the top vcu's theoretically a little deeper but they're only playing eight guys at this point st louis basically only trusts their top six plus having to they have to play Forrester because okoro can't keep himself out of foul trouble um and a little bit of the freshmen but I mean, other than Fordham and Duquesne, like there's really not teams that are playing heavy minutes for more than eight guys at this point.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it is crunch time of the season where, I mean, yeah, really besides those two teams that you mentioned. But I guess the point is that just thinking back to the Dayton VCU game when Duran Holmes fouled out with a minute to go, that the next man on the bench was a walk on that night. They so. were down
1: to five.
3: Yeah, that, that that could have been rough, but speaking of, I, I do think we need to bring up and maybe end on one of the deep teams, Fordham, who, as you mentioned earlier, tied for third place in the conference. They have the tiebreaker over St. Louis, and this is the first 20-win season for the Rams in more than 30 years. They closed that out with a big win on the road at Davidson, a team that beat them pretty handily at the rose hill gym earlier this year and this has just been such an impressive team i i think at this point we can kind of throw out the whole notion that they were just beating up on bad teams and that's how they racked up all their wins like yeah that's true where they wouldn't be a 20 win team with a lot of other schedules but that, that was a legitimately good showing in the non-con, and they've proven that throughout the conference season. I really think they're right up there with Duquesne, St. Louis, like, solidly in that second tier of teams, and they're going to have a chance to play for a double bye, which is incredible.
1: Yeah, and most importantly, they have a guy who's right in the heart of the first-team discussion in Khalid Moore.
2: Mm-hmm. Everyone's
1: going to talk about Quisenberg because he's still leading them in scoring, His shooting numbers have actually not been that great over this uh, little run that they're on right now. It's all about Khalid Moore. He he is their best player. He is their most dynamic player on both ends. And his first to second half splits are pretty remarkable in a lot of these big wins. He's a big, big, big big-time player.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I think Fordham, like, they're legitimately... I mean, their defense has taken a huge step up in the second half of the year, and Moore's a big part of that. Their two centers have been really solid inside. But overall, it's just impressive how they have so many options, and whether it is Moore or Quisenberry or someone else like who's leading them on a particular night, they just have a lot of other players to go to that can step up. And I, I think that is the one advantage that the Rams have over the other or at least most of the other uh, contenders in the A-10 right now.
1: Yeah, we will see where Fordham ends up, but I want to wrap this up with a quick shout-out because he takes so much crap for his in-game coaching. But the beginning of the second half against St. Louis was a simplicity masterclass from Anthony Grant that with both Forrester and Okoro in foul trouble, he just decides that every play, they're throwing the ball to Duran Holmes. And Holmes is just going to see if he can overpower them and get them to commit a stupid foul. And it worked. And it, and it worked again. And then they put Cise in, and then it worked again and again. And I think this happened six times in the first 10 minutes of the second half where they would just throw Duran Holmes the ball. He'd go full bulldozer. And those St. Louis bigs who are just really sloppy in the foul department at this point, couldn't do anything about it
3: no and i think too dayton really dictated the tempo of the game where st louis played their tempo in the first half it was an up and down game and they were hitting threes i think jimerson and perkins combined to make their first five threes of the game yeah second half dayton slowed the game way down it turned into an incredible defensive performance and overall you you have to give the Flyers credit for playing their game and just completely dominating the style of how they wanted to play. Yeah,
1: and it was an incredible week for the Flyers, but by the way, it was a concerning week for St. Louis. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but I see five teams in this league right now who have incredibly physical, tough to battle with front courts. Obviously, Dayton and Fordham are at the top of that list. But I'd also throw in VCU, Duquesne, and UMass. St. Louis's record against that group this year is 0-4. There ain't no against everybody else. Francis Acura looked like Hassan French reincarnate against Rhode Island on Tuesday, and then on Friday was just getting beat up by Deron Holmes all over the place. And this is something to watch for Saturday when the Billikens take on Duquesne. St. Louis has proven to us time and time again, whether it was these games, whether it was Auburn, whether it was Iona, if the other team's big guys are going to just come in and try to punch them in the mouth, they're going to really struggle. And to me right now, we'll see if they can turn it around in in that Duquesne game or the second Dayton game, or the second VCU game too, I guess. But St. Louis is a team that if they're going to win this conference tournament, they're going to need a little bit of favorability in that bracket because they're going to need to stay away from these tough teams. And by the way, one of the teams I didn't list was George Mason. They at least have Josh Aduro, and they pushed the Billikens to the brink. So it's it's a common theme over this last month and a half for St. Louis. Yeah, kind
3: kind of what we saw last year, too, with the Billikens sliding late in the season. They were 8-2 and two around this time last year. Then had to play the Bonnies back-to-back, lost both, ended up not playing their best basketball going into the tournament. So they really, if they want to get back on track and contend when we get to Brooklyn, they have to have a couple good games here soon.
1: Yeah, I, and I don't even see it as a slide. This has been pretty consistent throughout the year. That If you're going to try to turn it into a mucked-up game and a, a battle inside, St. Louis is probably going to lose but they can kick your butt in a skill battle any day. And and I'm just looking at the rest of the schedule here. They still play Davidson, Richmond, Loyola. Those are three teams that aren't going to give them quite the same trouble down there. So I, I think the Billikens should be able to easily take care of business in those three, but those other ones could be big and, Owen 3 there could actually even knock the Billikens out of a double bye, but I don't expect that. I think they'll come out with one of them. So,
3: I mean, that Duquesne game is going to be pretty huge. Like, if, if St. Louis beats Duquesne, they should be safe. But if they lose another tiebreaker to a close team, that gets really interesting. And you mentioned, too, I, I think we can wrap it up on this. For what seems like the fifth year in a row, we have another potential Flint, Michigan Mega Bowl on the last day of the season just adding to the excitement of the double by race
1: yeah i i couldn't find it i swear i tweeted at the end of non-con because duquesne closes out home umass at fordham and i thought it was funny to think about the fact that those two games could actually be huge in the double by race i was looking more at that umass game at the time but right now i'd say that Duquesne and Fordham are the favorites to finish four and five in whatever order. The Rams have the lead in the tiebreaker. Currently Duquesne can go tie them on that with a win in Rose Hill on that last night. And then depending on how things break with VCU looking like a top two team, that would mean the Dukes would, would end up winning the tiebreaker because it would then go to wins against first and wins against second. And, The Dukes beating VCU could be the difference to getting them the four seed, which I said would happen via tiebreaker. I just thought it would be a tiebreaker with VCU, not a tiebreaker with Fordham.
3: Well, it's still the Rams. It's pretty close.
1: Yeah, it is still the Rams. We got plenty of Rams. We got plenty of great episodes coming. God, it feels like there should be more than six games or five for some of these teams left in the regular season, but that is where we are. So, we thank you all for listening to this lengthy episode of the Three Bid League podcast. If you don't already, follow us on Twitter at the number Three Bid League Pod. Please send us any suggestions on there that you have for the show and enjoy another great week of games.